Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came And now, here he is, Jerry Springer. Yeah. Oh, please, thank you. You know, we, we say a brilliant studio audience, but... We don't really know how... No, we don't. I mean, they can't be that smart. They're here. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... We could be a... brilliant, just bad judgment. <laughs> no. no, but um, actually we could... What What are you holding? Is that that lie? Well, that yeah. Thing? Th- this is... Do you remember this uh, guy sent me this? It's called the You Lie, and it's a device that oh, is yeah. part of a oh. kind of a crowdfunding yeah, project. Yeah, yeah. And uh, guys trying to get these out visible and mm-hmm. ask us to give a little bit of attention to it. And I have the you lie. Tell people about how it works. In other words, if someone is lying to you, that's able to detect it and it buzzes? This is a literally a mini polygraph test. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. But you don't plug it into your... No, it anybody? runs on batteries and you can set it on various uh, notifications. I have it set on a buzzer. Uh, my name is Megan Hills. <laughs> Let's see, I picked that up right, right away because her name is Megan Hills. Mine's Jean Galvin. Let me ask you something. Uh, do, you, do, you work out, do you work out regularly in your life? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, look. Now, see, that says that that is like uh, no. yeah, Do okay. you? Are, you? are you at the gym? Yeah, what gym do you work out in? I don't know, gym. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh, you mean like sweat? Yes. No. What, what's the extent but of the workout that you do daily? Daily? This is true. Back in 1987, I did a knee bend. Mm. (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, what happened is I dropped my wallet, and so I had to bend down. (laughs) That was it. My people weren't there. (laughs) Gene was off somewhere else. So (laughs) I had to pick up my wallet. You talk about my heart rate went up. (laughs) Talk about breaking a sweat. I was down there in a second, and then to lift it. Wow. <laughs> but no, I, I don't work out, and I know that's, that's wrong, but, I, um, but it, I don't like sweating. Interesting. And, and, and the weights are stupid because you pick it up and then you put it right back down. So what's the point? Yeah, what's, what, is, what would the point be? But you know, and, and you do, have you ever taken, have either of you ever taken a lie detector test, li- literally, formally, a polygraph test? No. No, what, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, I took one. <laughs> I took one. You took Did you one? Really? I took a polygraph test probably Were they laughing? five, seven years ago. No. What did I, you take it for? Well, here, here was a deal. I, so I was talking to this guy who ran this institution, and I've been an educator my whole life, yeah. and I've always worked with and have loved working with kids that have a lot of needs, yeah, suffice to that's say. That's true. That's not joking. So okay. um, I found out about this place that was looking for uh, an educator to work with these kids, and these were adjudicated felons. So these were juveniles who had committed felonies. These were some pretty serious situations. So I I took an interest in this, and I thought, you know, that's going to be on my bucket list uh, before I'm done to to work with that clientele. So I'm talking to these people about this, and I got to the point where they said, look— you know, this may turn into something on our side. You have to decide. And they were very embarrassed to say this and apologetic. And he says, you'd have to take a polygraph test. Before they would let you work with Before the they felons. would hire me. Yeah, Before hire they you. would make the decision. And I said, are you kidding me? Yeah. And he said, I know you'd think that. He says, we all had to do it. I had to do it. I really apologize. Did you get to and see I the said, questions ahead of time? No. 
And I said, dude, I will I take know. that Was it that test. that you had to I go in tell. that day? That, no, it was oh. going to be about a week later, but okay. I was all over. I can tell I said, the I truth, take but it. on questions that I want to tell the truth. I understand. Well, that's not <laughs> how it works. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be asked questions where... You don't get a script. You don't, you don't get to tell no. them what they ask There's you. There's nothing in the prompter? Nothing. No, no. it's not no. And talk. they don't no. follow what you want. No, There's no I don't way you see. What's the benefit of that? Well, I couldn't still to this day can't figure out why they were doing this, but they did. How'd you do? Well, the deal is, and I really is he want, working there? Here's, here's here's the question: Is I he passed. working there now? No, you I didn't said, get close I, to I passing. said I, I will take this, and and uh, the reason now I don't know that you I don't have the job, the job, do you? No. That's well, not your job. So end of the day, I didn't pass the test. But I said I wanted now to have this experience of taking a polygraph. And it was right out of a black and white movie. The guy gives me a business card. And he says, you call this number. The card said somebody's private detective agency. I go at the appointed time. I get there on the 14th floor of a downtown building. And and it's a smoke glass door with the detective agency emblem in it. I knock on the door, no answer. And I'm like, I wonder if, you know, do I... I don't know. I thought this was all going to be a fun experience. And then the guy shows up, walks down the hall, takes me in, sits me down... I don't think I ever looked at him more than a minute because the whole time he's behind you, he straps me up to all this technology. Oh, I'd be terrified. And then, and I'm thinking, man, th- this is kind of what I thought it would be and hoped it would be, and I couldn't yeah. wait for the questions. Yeah. So he says, uh, "Did you get any right?" He said, "What's your name?" And I said, "Gene Galvin." He asked how old I was. I told him, "Are well, you that, married?" Okay. Yes. I know you lied on that. No, I didn't. And and so that's the baseline data, and it's and what they're doing that little needle behind you has got the yeah. baseline and it's all flat. And then I'm thinking, like, when are these the good questions coming? Yeah. And the first one I was not ready for. He said, have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever stolen from an employer? Oh, well. Like a pen? Like he, that, that was oh, the question. Anything? <laughs> like anything? Have you stolen from an employer? Get excuses. I, I wow. paused and I said, oh, hell yeah. And he said... <laughs> And he's behind me, and I, you know, I wanted to turn around and look, and his face that way, and, and he said, uh, well, what'd you steal? And I said, oh, when I was in college, I worked in this shoe store, and I used to steal shoes, like, all the time. And, he, and there's, he's just listening. He's not saying no did, reaction. And, and they didn't what, hire you? Oh, I stole I'm shoes. shocked. <laughs> and then I said, well, not, like, not that many. And then I did something that kind of surprised me. I gave up my brother. I said, now look, my brother Jerry. <laughs> so not my only are you brother a thief, Jerry, but you're a rat. And this is what my brother Jerry used to do, Megan. Because you know my brother Jerry. You yeah. know him as yeah. well. When he was in college and we great. worked in this shoe store, he would try to pick up girls by when the girls would come into the store to get us. And back in the day, girls would get these satin high heel shoes stilettos stilettos and we would dye them to match their dress they bring in like a swath swath yep. as it was called for their dress. wedding dress yep. and we match it up and do them so my brother would pick up girls by saying i'll hook you up with a pair of shoes so he was stealing shoes all the time for these girls so i told this guy that and i said i'll give you my brother's phone number his email address i don't know if there's a statute of limitations but so i gave up my brother and then he said and he's kind of laughing and he said look have you stolen anything lately? This will relate to an endeavor we were all involved in. And I said, what? what, what? I wasn't there. I was not there either. Excuse me. I said, me. yeah, I have. I've stolen from, he says, like in the last, and he gave some number of years. I said, yeah. And he said, 
what? And I said, well, I used to steal from, and I named the company of the radio station where we did Springer on the radio yeah. a few years back. I said, yeah, I still stole from them. Like what? What did you steal? Well, I'm going to tell you. Because <laughs> so, see, here's what the I decided. If you're going to do a polygraph test, don't lie. There you go. And, and then you pass. So I said, yeah, I would. I you got pass, it. but you're in prison. No. <laughs> Great. You'll be the smartest guy in prison. <laughs> I, I used to get annoyed when I was doing that job and I'd write stuff and I was always like grabbing paper and sticking it in my printer at home. And I finally said, I'm just going to grab a ream of paper. So I stole a ream of paper and he's he's behind me going, you know, that doesn't really count. And, oh, and he didn't I bet say they that. would beg to He didn't oh. say that. Then he asked, this You'll offended never. me. Have I ever committed an act of terrorism against the U.S. government? They asked me that. And you said what? <laughs> I'm holding the light. I, I want my attorney here before I, yeah. I have my attorney Does here. Does being friends with Jerry Springer count? Does that, is that an yeah. act No, I have not committed. <laughs> and then he asked like this creepy question about, you know, molesting kids. And I said that I explained I had never been a priest. So, no, I had not. And, oh. Now, see, that's a cheap joke, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. That's a cheap joke. That's just... No. So when it was over, he said, uh, I said, so did I pass? And he said, yes. And I thought, well, I ought to strap that guy up just giving right. me that answer because I don't know if that was true or not. And then it turns out I, I went off and did other stuff and didn't... No, they, he I, they didn't hire you because did you were honest, but you're a thief. <laughs> Who is going to hire him? I, you did. How did he get with this podcast? I don't know. He's your friend. Maybe we should have every staff member here. Every Absolutely ta not. talent takes a test. And <laughs> I thought it was a blast to do, and I'm glad I did it. And, Actually, um, I think it would be pretty interesting. I, I think it would be terribly interesting, but terribly intimidating. I'm nah. trying to not think, nah. did I ever steal anything? Let me, you know, speaking of uh, politics, and actually yep. we haven't been speaking of politics. Not even. But speaking of politics, Jerry. Well, you're speaking of thievery. We're, we're all, yeah. <laughs> We're all watching, uh, and this is rolling out over a period of time, the ramp up to the 2016 presidential election. Yeah. And there are at least two people on the Democratic side, uh, independent candidate Bernie Sanders, well, independent senator, right? Yeah. Bernie Sanders. Yes. And uh, former senator and former secretary of state Hillary Clinton on the Democrat side. Right. And... People talk about Elizabeth Warren. She says she won't go in. And who knows? But then there's a, there are a lot of people potentially on the Republican side, up to 19, depending on who you count. Sure. You throw in a Donald Trump and some other more, some would say, fringe candidates. How do you see that stack up? Who do you see breaking out? Will the Republicans nominate somebody as slaves of their hard right wing? Will they find a moderate? Well, how do you analyze how that's all playing out, will play out in the next well, year and a half. Obviously, I don't know anything more than all the people that study this every day from a distance. It looks like it's everybody versus Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush will be the establishment candidate. He obviously has the money, the name, and all that. And that doesn't mean he can't be stopped. But the question is, which of the others will stop him? And by the way, any analysis of what's going to happen... Um, you always have to start with a proviso that if there's a headline about something we don't now know, everything changes. So it could change in a day. Somebody could get sick. There could be some new scandal. There could be, you know, so 
obviously. But as things stand now, it looks like um, there are an awful lot of Republicans who are not happy with Jeb Bush um, because he's a Bush. And, um, you know, because outside of Florida, there would be no one who would dislike. No one's angry at Jeb Bush outside of the state other than they don't, you know, they don't want another Clinton-Bush run. That seems to be the argument against him. So let me just give a thought about the Jeb Bush case that I haven't seen printed anyplace. And it, it, it drives me crazy a little bit because, Gene, I remember we talked about this back in uh, 04 when we started campaigning and against the war in Iraq. And it's this. Jeb Bush, which I understand, you love your brother. So I give him a little bit of a pass for saying, you know, when asked the question with a camera in your face, you know, what would you have done with the Iraq war? You're going to give a little bit of a pass to your own brother. I mean, that's almost, I see that almost as a character issue that, you know, you'll fudge a little bit and say, well, and they all say the same thing based on what we knew then. You know, maybe, but if, if I knew then what I know now, and I think that probably includes my brother, um, obviously it was not the right decision, mistakes were made. That seems to be the politically correct thing to say. In fact, Hillary said it was a mistake. I made a mistake. You know, we know a lot more now. It shouldn't have been done. Let's move from there. Here's the point I never got. The debate has always been around the issue of did Saddam Hussein have weapons of mass destruction? And was our intelligence good? And, oh my gosh, we believe the intelligence. Much of the world believed the intelligence. And so, particularly in the aftermath of 9-11, we were a little jumpy, and the intelligence was believed by everybody, so therefore, we went in. And we almost like give people a pass. Here's why I don't. I was more worried with what if the administration, I'm not angry that the administration may have lied. I'm angry that what if the administration was telling the truth? What if the administration really believed that there were weapons of mass destruction? What if our government really thought that this wasn't just a plot to get us into Iraq, but we really thought that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. If Saddam Hussein was telling the truth, and if our government was telling the truth, that it really believed it, that is the dumbest decision of all to invade Iraq. You don't invade a country that you know has nuclear weapons and you don't know where they are. See, we already knew we didn't know where they specifically were. That was the whole bit. We had to go in and find them. If a country doesn't have weapons of mass destruction, there's not much of a risk. But if you know they could blow up the Middle East and part of the world, and you don't know where these weapons are to take them out, of course you don't start a war with them. That was the dumbest decision of all. Nobody ever asked Cheney that question. You thought they had these weapons. And you admit we didn't know where they were. 
So what in the world are you thinking about trying to blow them up? If they really had them, don't you think the first time we invaded, they would then suddenly blow up the Middle East, blow up Israel, blow up American troops? That's the dumbest foreign policy decision certainly made in my lifetime. I mean, at least with the Vietnam War, as wrong as I thought that decision was, there was some basis for it. You know, a theory I didn't abide by, but at least there was people justified, had a justification for what they were doing. It's what they believed. But this was just stupid. So the question isn't, was the administration trying to mislead us? Were they lying? No. The danger is they were telling the truth. And we still went in and started a war. If the Jeb Bush can now say, my brother is my advisor, and by the way, he's already said that the people in George W. Bush's administration are his major advisors now, and when asked specifically the question, who will advise you in the Middle East, he says his brother, that's what's scary, that you will really take advice from someone who thought it was a good idea to start a war with a country that had nuclear weapons and you didn't know where they were. That kind of judgment cannot exist in the White House of our country. Do you see him as time passes... uh as you said earlier, he's he's the one everybody's chasing then, you think. Can he win? Because remember, you have to differentiate between the primary and the general election. The primary voters are different from the general election voters. And the primary voters for Republicans are largely older, whiter conservatives. So how do those two things match up? Facing the test of the primary unique voter and then trying to forcing you off and if you're a Republican over to the far right. Well, that's what happened to Romney last time. Yeah. And um, How do you analyze all of that using the Romney uh, model? Uh, well, one, I don't think Jeb Bush would fight Evander Holyfield. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was that about? They yeah. look kind of cool in the, in the uh, weigh-in. He I was thought, out of breath but, after the first laugh. It oh, was my really God. Scary. Then he was just running away, it which is just, stupid. I thought it was a great... And I'm not kidding. I thought it was great to do. I thought... Oh, it was a nice thing to do. It was a but, fundraiser. But then and... be in there and go down with a punch or something. Don't just cut running. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, what's the point? Did you wrestle a bear once when you were mayor of I Cincinnati? Ran. And didn't you do no, the I same thing? No, I didn't run. I touched his nose and I got slam dunked. Fast. It was happened so fast. It knocked me cold. It was on the front page of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Yeah. Glasses flying off. Victor <laughs> the bear. Yeah. That was in the 550 pounds on me. At, You're kidding. At the Cincinnati Coliseum at the time. Yeah. Oh, my God. Not the Coliseum, a uh, convention center. Did not no, know that. Live television. New Jerry Springer fact of the day. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay, so what was the question? I'm well, sorry. Well, so, yeah. you know, will he be... <laughs> oh. Will he and the bear be forced to the hard right, and then how does he oh. find his way back to yeah. the center? Jeb is betting at this time that... No, Jeb will not go as far right as, um, as Romney did. And in truth, even though I'm not, not a Jeb Bush fan, I, you know, I'm a liberal Democrat, I, I don't want Jeb Bush to be president. But on the character issue, 
I think there is some substance to him. There are things he won't say. He's probably the most liberal of the Republicans on immigration, for example. So he's not a crazy. I don't want him to be. You're a Floridian, and he was your governor. He's not a crazy person. And so, you know, if I were a Republican, you know, he's a a grown-up. He's the one grown-up in the race. The one who is also very consistent, but... Um, and doesn't play politics is the senator from Kentucky. Rand Paul. Rand Paul. Um, Very unique candidate, isn't he? Very unique. And it's not a position I adhere to, but he is who he is, and he's not running away from it, and he's telling Republicans some things they don't want to hear. But he doesn't really, do you think, have a chance to win that? No. I, I don't either. No. I think the only one at this, the only two at this point, who have a chance against Jeb Bush, and that would be Rubio and uh, Walker uh, from uh, Wisconsin. Unless Rubio strikes gold and you know, just becomes this real charismatic. But I, I, I don't see that. I don't see that. And I think the election will be, um, do people want Hillary? And I think when I look at the electoral map, you know, barring something we don't know about, there are enough people out there for good reasons that will say it's time. There can be no question about her competence. She may not be as far left as the more liberal wing of the party would like and some issues I would like to see her, but she's certainly a grown-up. You know, what issue is ever going to get raised that she can't talk about and make some judgment about? So, you know, it's probably the most qualified person we've had running for president as a candidate. You know, whether she turns out to be a great president or even wins the election, who knows? But I think right now Jeb Bush is the only one who could give her a real race because people that are unsettled about Hillary won't feel like voting for Jeb will be voting for a crazy person. I agree. Hey, one last thing on the primary structure on the Republican side. So they have 19, and that'll winnow down some, I'm sure. But you can't do a debate that doesn't look like a ridiculous clown show with more than maybe seven or eight. In the past, there have been both Democrats and Republicans have had seven or eight men and women up there, and that was complicated enough. And so you then have to set some thresholds and measurements, and maybe it's done by public policy polling. And the wars are now on of people who are in those fringe areas who are bitter that they might not be included in, a, in, in, these, in this array of primary debates, televised debates. And if you're not on those debates, is it not true? You're dead. You, you get no traction unless you're that on. Is those are your opportunities to true, spike. But it's a Republican primary. How are primary. they going to do that? Well, it's a Republican primary, and they can do what they want because it's their party. And they're not going to get trapped as they did last time. Right. They recognized they had too many debates, and they looked silly. And they'll and happily then cut out some of those oh, French Oh, yeah, people. the establishment would love to cut it out. Okay, so, and then um, that could create another war, an internal yeah. political war. That but it's not, there's, the truth is, the candidates that are campaigning are not gonna, re, it's not gonna result in people in the street saying, we wanna hear from Ben Carson. Yeah, 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 yeah right. It's just, right. you know, or from Donald Trump. It's not gonna happen, so. Yep. My guess is that the five or six 
that we now think are serious will be the ones in the debate. And that's how they'll handle it. And is it not true that some people, and and maybe particularly on the Republican side, will run for president, it appears, to get enough recognition to get a TV job? Huckabee, Governor Huckabee from Arkansas would be a perfect example. Parlay to run eight years ago, 12 years ago, and landed a job as an analyst. No, more than an analyst, as a host, a weekend host on Fox News. And so it becomes a business plan to run. And the American electorate sometimes is wise to that strategy and, frankly, gets resentful of it. But that's a fact. Well, my plan was to uh, do a show for 30 years. Yes, a TV and, show, the Jerry Springer show. Yeah. And which then, you're very culturally proud of, right. the proud content of, of that. <laughs> and, and turn that and into... And really, really give back to society with that show. Uh, yeah, there, and parlay that <laughs> into a... Uh, Presidential run, a presidential run, <laughs> into a podcast. Don't you? And it's about the only thing into I podcast, that into. Yeah. <laughs> it's a podcast. Don't you and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I've heard, have speaking had of working secret, out, there are two yeah. similarities. But you've had secret meetings to try to get the Constitution changed. Yeah. The people who were born in foreign countries could right. run for president. You were born in England in a in a cop car or a cab or where were you born? In it? where did I just read? In a just read in a <laughs> subway station in England. You, were you really? You didn't. Know your mom did popped you out in a subway Springer station. Fact of oh, the really? Day. That's another one. Yeah, I didn't know that. yeah. I was born at the Highgate station in London. Really? No, but okay. what was it, was it like being born? Can you tell us that? I mean, what? <laughs> oh. It was a dark night. Yeah. <laughs> what were your What were your Big first impressions? Yeah. <laughs> Did they all go? But I had Jerry, them right away. Jerry. <laughs> yeah. I came out and I say, you know what my wife's favorite wine is? <laughs> oh, no, 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 not again. Where, where's Where's I'm, catfish? I want to go to my. Say it anymore. I can't do it anymore. We're gonna cut oh. that out. Yeah, but it was during the war and a lot of. You know, it wasn't un, it wasn't that rare because those were the bomb shelters. So women in the oh. ninth month would spend the nights at the bomb shelters at the subway stations. So that wasn't that rare. They and it is unfair that you couldn't be president. And I think that that is something that needs to change. Oh, and people are beside be themselves. Well. I know. They are beside themselves. <laughs> hey, tonight we have uh, as our musical featured performer and songwriter, Jerry, an old friend of yours and mine, yes. Ellie Fabe. And in fact, her father, God rest his soul, recently passed. George Fabe, you sure. may recall, in of the course. Ohio politics structure, yeah. was rather important. Served as the insurance commissioner a few years back under Governor Richard Celeste, who you ran against, by the way. You ran against and Governor could have Richard won, Celeste. but you took all our flyers and let them slide down the sewer on election the day before the election in Cincinnati. No, it was a Saturday before, and there were oh, some yeah. big football games on. I mean, come on. <laughs> He had his priorities straight. My brother Jerry did the uh, ad campaign for Jerry Springer back in that time period. 82. And I called my brother one day, and I said, Jerry Galvin, I said, uh, I, I, really, I have to compliment you because when you designed the brochures, remember there was a real pretty trifold back oh, then, it was, it was magazine size. It was great. And I said, I have no idea who decided the paper stock you put it on, but you put it on slick paper. And so what it meant was I could take a box, a cardboard box, and crack open the edge of it and tilt them, and they would slide into the sewer like pigs going to dinner. They would just go (laughs) zipping right in there. 
And so when when Jean Beaupre would call me and say, uh, "How far along are you on your, uh, you know, passing out that letter?" I says, "Dude, it's done. 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 I, it was. I got up early. I took care of it right and this away." This is your best friend. Yeah. Well, this, this is yeah. Well, he he loved the state more. Yeah. <laughs> And the idea of me now being we, governor in 82. Hey, the fact is we had a blast. In it was, that that was a great race. We had a blast. And, and Richard Celeste won and uh, won the primary, won the general. And deserved to. Deserved to. He was a good, good governor, yeah. two-term governor, as I recall, right? Yeah, two-term yeah. governor. And George Fabier, father, was the insurance commissioner. He's a very yeah. well-respected man. Ellie, tell us, please, the song you're going to sing, and then we want to chat with you when you're done. This is a song called Pandora. Okay. And it is on my... Um, my most recent album called what is that it's called devil may care good and we're going to talk about that when you're done there are secrets that you're keeping the things you tell no one Sneaking when you're sleeping Like an outlaw on the run What you cannot say In the light of day Sometime deep in conversation song from long ago Before we hit 1970 They call me Pandora Some shepherd moons and diamond stars Not always the best thing for ya But that's the way Troubles are
Great, Ellie. That's Ellie Faye from Cincinnati, Ohio. And Ellie, by the way, last January was invited, uh, uh, part of a select group, to come to the 30A Songwriters Festival in the Panhandle of Florida. So Seaside, Grayton Beach, that whole area that's up and down 30A, a spectacular place to just go. And uh, she performed there with uh, a, a group of songwriters and uh, performed a number of nights, right? So mm-hmm. it ran All for maybe three four, nights. three it nights. It was a weekend thing. And so I, um, like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And they treated us like royalty. That's great. It was really great. That's Considering, great. you know, you don't really get treated like royalty. Yeah. Like, Often <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> <laughs> so the inspiration for that song, Pandora Radio? Yeah. No, no. No. Um, Actually, Pandora Radio won't have me, so I don't really know why. I'm sure it's a technical (laughs) glitch. Um, A a friend of mine um, had gotten a new telescope, and he and another guy that I know who is an astrophysicist, they were like quacking on about this and that, and the next thing you know, they got to the moons of Jupiter, and I said, like, hold on, hold on, I gotta write this down, because it was like the talk was so beautiful, you know? So apparently one of the moons is named Pandora. And you balance your songwriting and performing, because you're pretty active in the greater Cincinnati area. Mm -hmm. You play a lot of places, uh, because my wife and I have heard you a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And you have been doing this for a number of years, because we've been hearing you for years, and we've always loved it. But you're a working artist as well, and a trained artist. Yeah, that that is my background. It is my my training. And uh, it's a... um, it's a hard business, the art business. That's all a hard business, whatever. Yeah. But I find that the art business was a little harder. Like, and basically, I'm not so good at the business. At the you business know, side I, of it. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you got to want it pretty bad, and you got to really work it. And um, so I mean painting. Painting, yeah. Like, I love painting, but that uh, people, like well, can you make it a little this or like, no, you know what I mean? It's just even yeah. getting yourself, it's just a little sometimes, it, I won't go on. Yeah, it's yeah. a little. Do yeah. they fit, Did they all through your life kind of fit together or were they pretty compartmentalized? Uh, um, they're songwriting? a little compartmentalized. Okay. And actually my dad, like since we're talking about my dad, yeah. my dad was hilarious and um, he was very pragmatic and, and a great, really important fan of mine. Like, really important. Nice. Bought me this guitar when I was 20, long before, like, I really thought that I should be having a guitar that was nice. Yeah. And uh, he went to um, Santa Fe and came back like his hair was on fire. Like, oh, my God, you, the art in Santa Fe. And they're making really big dough for the art in Santa Fe. And um, so you need to... You need to get painting some Indians right away. <laughs> and I said, no, well, it was really, I, then you, then they got to be big, yeah, really big. Yeah, be painting some and big I Indians. said, well, like, uh, I'm painting these little tiny yeah. little things, you know, with collage yeah. words and yeah. scribble and, yeah. you know. So it became like this hilarious um, 
that's sort of control thing where when I wouldn't do what he wanted, he would say, just one little Indian. So I did write a song called They Say If You Paint Indians, You Can Make a Million Bucks. Uh, see, there you go. That's yeah. good. I like yeah. that. Because he used to say, like, if, if, they want, if they want three bedroom apartments, you build them three bedroom <laughs> yeah, apartments. Yeah, He's really tee them off. Yeah, that, yeah. You know. That's good. Yeah. Hey, can you... Uh, Help us and take us out on mm-hmm. Irene Goodnight. I would be. And uh, Jerry Springer's going to jump in on that too if you'll let him. I'm in. Here we go. Boy, and this has been something, Jerry, do you remember way back into our college years when we were yes. playing folk music? Tuning was always going on. Yes, but I thought oh. it was always um, overvalued. <laughs> overvalued, yeah. And digital yeah. tuners are of great yeah. help now. Yeah. And I see that Ellie has a digital tuner at yeah. the end of her. Uh, yeah. I, I've, I swore. I played at the bitter end one night and the green room York. was so oh, cold that it didn't go well. And I swore I would never go on stage without a tuner again. That's good. You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, sponsored by the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Hope to see you all again real soon. Last Saturday night I got married. Me and my wife settled down. Now me and my wife have I'll take a little stroll downtown Irene, good night, Irene Irene, good night Good night, Irene Good night, Irene I'll see you in my dreams Sometimes I live in the country Sometimes I live in town Sometimes I take a great notion to jump in the river and drown